0: Today we're going to read a passage of Scripture that's very familiar to you. And so I invite you to turn in your Bibles to uh, uh, John chapter 15. This is the passage where Jesus talks about being the true vine and uh, we the branches. And again, I want to remind you, as we read this, try to think, uh, maybe think anew and afresh Uh, Rather than just the same old things that many of you have been in church all your lives, you hear the same thing over and over about these verses. But uh, this morning we're going to look at it, uh, I think, in a a new way, in a fresh way. So if you don't have your scriptures, it's printed in your bulletin, by the way, so you can look at it there. Uh, John chapter 15, and I'm going to start with verse 8, although that's not printed in your bulletin, but it does give a little context. And then you can follow along with verse 9. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy May be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends." For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the Gospel of our Lord. We've been talking about the coming of the King all through Advent, and today being uh, the 31st, it's the first Sunday after Advent, actually. Uh, We're going to conclude, what does it mean for the King to have come? You know, almost the whole country celebrates uh, Christmas, and and indeed the whole world, actually, Uh, which is all great. uh, We're all for that, celebrating Christmas, and you hear cries and and complaints every year we got to keep christ in christmas have to keep the meaning of christmas and all of that and and that is true we do need to do that but more importantly i think is uh... understanding what that coming of the king means to those of us who actually claim to be christians we're going to talk about that in a minute what does that mean uh... to say i'm a christian Uh, and we Pointed out that the coming of the King changes our allegiance. Where our primary values are? Are they in uh, our ethnicity? Are they in our career? Are they in our uh, political alignment? Whether we're Republican, Democrat, or something else? Uh, is it in our uh, our race? Uh, is it in our socioeconomic standards? Uh, how well we're doing, or maybe not? How, how smart we are, or perhaps not? Where do we have our primary allegiance? What really ultimately moves us, life or death? And then, secondly, our expectations. What are your expectations? The expectations of the average American are that we will be prosperous, we will be healthy, we will be wealthy, we will be wise, we will be the number one country in the whole world, we will rule forever. And that our way is the right way. That's what we think. What does the kingdom say to our expectations? And we talked about that at length. What about our values? What are our values? What is really important? And what about the priority? In other words, how do you rank those values? Where do you place them in your life? Because there's a lot of things that are valuable. Jesus didn't deny that things were valuable. He just said, where do you put them? And where do you get your identity? If you're going to get your identity from your education, somebody's going to come along smarter. From Somebody, money, somebody's going to come along richer. Better looking? Oh, there's tons of better looking people. Now, not in this church, but... All right. So there's plenty of uh, you know, ways we can stack our priorities. Today we're going to talk about mission. What does the coming of the King say to you about your mission? And uh, you know, the, the, the obvious place to go is, what does Jesus want us to go do? Because mission is all about going and doing stuff. Those of you that are in the military, you know when they give you a mission, you go on the mission. And that's all about accomplishing that mission. And so the place to go, of course, in the Bible, would be Matthew 28. Go into all the world, preach the Gospel, make disciples, baptize. That's the commission, the great commission. But as I was thinking about that, it occurred to me that before you can ever go and make a disciple, you have to be one first. And for 2018, one of the things that we're going to focus on is this fact, this reality. And I hope you all will hear what I'm saying. Churches are full of non-believers, non-Christians. They are loaded. In fact, it may be the majority of people in church are not Christians. Are any of you surprised at that? I mean, really? Jesus told parables about that. He said there are going to be... Weeds that grow up among the, the, uh, the, the wheat, among the real crop. And we're going to leave it alone. We're going to let them grow. And then at the harvest, the Lord will reap uh, and will, will gather up the, the weeds first and cast them into fire. And then He will gather His wheat and put it into the barn. So churches are full of non-Christians. They are full of people who at some point in their life have done this. Which, uh, thanks to Josh, thank you for the video. We're going to watch that sometime. Great video that Josh gave me. One of the guys on the video says, one of the greatest heresies ever that hit the American church is this idea that you just one day you decide to pray a prayer and invite Jesus into your heart. And from that day on, you're a Christian. That is not the definition of a Christian. Do you understand? It's not. Not even close. The definition of a Christian is what we just read. A person who abides in the vine, abides in Christ. In other words, their life, the very lifeblood, that causes them to get up every morning is Jesus Christ the King. He is the King. He is the vine. So, to go and make a disciple, to go on mission, you have to be a disciple first. You have to be abiding in the vine. And we're going to talk about this today and for much of this next year because I think it's important that you, all of you, from young kids to older adults that you go home and you start thinking deeply about your faith in God. Do you believe in God? And do you believe that he that Jesus Christ is his son and that he came and died for you and was raised from the dead? Does that register? And what effect does it have on our life? If it's just up here in our head, it means zero. If it is not transforming you because to abide in the vine means you're going to be changing. Constantly changing. And some of the ways that we change, we don't like. I'll be the first to admit it, but listen carefully. Let's go through these, and I hope it will make some sense to you. And and please receive this in the spirit that it is being said. I have to examine my own heart, but I also am responsible for you. That's the charge that God gives the elders in His church is that we are to be watchers over, we are to be episcopos, overseers of your souls. And I want you to think deeply this year, 2018, of your Christian, what does it mean for me to be abiding in the vine? Has my allegiance changed? Are my expectations in line with, with Christ's kingdom? Are my values what He values? Are my priorities what He Key, what he makes priority, am I on mission? Am I abiding in the vine? Okay? So let's take a look at this uh, from in three directions, and this is just a simple outline. First of all, the web of love. Secondly, the fruit of love. And finally, the lover of our souls. The web of love, the fruit of love, and the lover of our souls. This whole illustration that Jesus is giving of the vine and the branches means that union, or abiding with Christ, the way you're going to know is that you're going to be alive. Not just physically alive, but there's going to be a quality of life. And it's not just prosperity. It's not just having lots of things or lots of stuff. It's a quality of life. A kind of life in which... As you're moving through life, it is pulsing, it's vibrant, it's it's, uh, uh, it's in motion. It's in motion. It's being reshaped. And that this life gives our life shape, meaning, purpose. It, I, I know this millennial generation, those of you that are millennials know, Uh, that one of the biggest problems in the millennial world is that they've, they've found no meaning. There's no purpose. And there's a lot of cynicism. Cynicism is rampant. But you know what? You don't have to find it just in millennials. Go back to the baby boomers, my generation. And you find plenty of cynicism, plenty of hopelessness, plenty of meaninglessness. We had our own crisis in the 60s, you know, trying to get our our meaning from flowers and from protests and from anti-war marches and all of that. And before that, there were the beatniks. Some of you remember the beatniks. I won't ask because I certainly don't want to embarrass anyone for your age. There were beatniks. And before that, there was something else. Keep going back and back. There were the zoot suiters in the 40s, especially here in El Paso. They have pictures. Pretty funny. Okay? We all have had our crises. And today, I don't care what generation you are, everybody's wondering, do I really have a purpose? Do I really have meaning? What is that? And what if it's taken away? What if it gets robbed from me? Then will I still have meaning? The Gospel says yes. You can be stripped down to nothing and still have meaning. Still have purpose. Still be on mission. Because you're abiding, your life is of a different quality. Not abiding, he said, is like being shriveled up and if you feel shriveled, if, if your soul is feeling particularly weak and shriveled and lifeless, and you know, what is it all about? This will help you. And I urge you, and if if you're feeling that way as a Christian, you're saying, gosh, you know, I thought I believed and I thought all this was meaningful to me, but it's really not. It's just not clicking, it's just not there. Well then what are you waiting for? Come see me. Come see one of the elders, talk to us, let us help you. What do you think the vine is? Do you think the vine is just one thing? Have any of you seen a grapevine? I mean, it's a big tangle of stuff, right? It's a web. It's all tangled up. You need other people. We need each other. And you should be coming and saying, you know what, I don't know. I'm struggling. You said, come see you. Okay, come see me. Start in here with the holy oil. So we don't do holy oil. Yes, we do. It's holy because Jesus Christ is in there waiting for you to come and ask Him to heal you, make you right, make you well. If you need that, come in there after the, after the or during communion, after you've taken communion. Not abiding means fruitlessness, death, that ugly feeling inside that I'm going nowhere and nothing's going on. Don't stay like that. Dr. D.A. Carson in his wonderful commentary says this, main purpose of the vine allegory, listen, the main purpose of the vine allegory is to stress the importance of dependence upon Jesus Christ. Dependence, in other words, you're resting your whole life on Him. You're resting on Him. Dependence. Upon him. So let's look at the web of love. Look at the verse 9. It's there and in a couple of other verses as well. He says this as the Father loved me, so I've loved you. Then later on, a couple verses, he says, Love one another. Then later, a few more verses, he says, Abide in my love. He repeats it. I think if I'm not mistaken, ten times in just these few verses, he talks about love. We think, we very, and rightly so, we think that love is a feeling. And love is a feeling. Love is a feeling. I know some of you say, oh, no, that's not what I heard. Love is a feeling. Love is also not a feeling. Love is a commitment. Which one do you give up? Please tell me. Which one do you give up? You give up neither. You don't say, well, I'm just going to stay committed and I'm going to do the commitment, but I don't love and I don't care and I'm indifferent and blah, 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 blah. blah. No, then it's not love. Or if it's all about feeling and there's no commitment, then it's just wishy-washy and it's meaningless. Love is a feeling and love is a commitment. Love is a power and a force. It's making a decision. It's also acting on the decision. If this is true, if as the Father... Listen. If this is true, you cannot leave here today the same as when you came in. Not because of me. It's God's Word. This is going to put you on the hot seat. Listen carefully. As the Father loved me, so I love you. Love one another. Abide in my love. It's, it's what Richard Pratt used to tell us in, in seminary. It's a web of multiple reciprocity. Do you all remember that from theology class? Remember Gail? A web of multiple reciprocity. Don't you love that? Isn't that cool? It's a really neat theological term. Is it Because everything is connected. Everything is connected. You can't just pull one thing out and just talk about that one thing. They're all interlaced. Now, my grandfather, my dad's father, loved plants, and he had vine, grapevines and tomato plants, all these different plants. He loved a garden. My other grandfather on the other side, who I'm named for, he didn't like anything that was green. So he paved his whole yard in concrete. Some of you may have been to his house years ago. Uh, everything was concrete. There was not a green thing anywhere, and I inherited that. Much to my wife's uh, chagrin, because she loves planting and stuff like that. So I, w- as I walk by plants, they wither and die. I don't have to touch them. I have a power you can't believe. I mean, I walk by, hello, plant, it dies. So Mativi is always walking behind me, trying to get them back to life. You know, so everything is interconnected. It's a staggering claim. Jesus is saying, in the way that the Father loves me. I've loved you. Oh, we understand that. We're good with that. No problem. Of course, of course He would love me the way that the Father loves Him. Of course. But it's the next one that's such a problem. Love one another. Why did you have to say that? Well, couldn't you just leave that part out? We're even fine with abide abide in my love. I am okay with that. But don't tell me to love each other. Uh, Couldn't you make a list? A list for me. Of those people I can love. And let me pick. Right? Let me pick them. And my list would be very short. Me. And your list would be the same. So, Oh no, I love my... Wa- oh no, I love my... Oh no, I love my children. Oh no, I love, I love, I love. Listen to what he says. Listen. This kind of love is not about how much you love somebody. You know the scripture, For God so loved the world. You all know that one, right? John 3.16 For God so loved the world. Does not mean He loved the world this much. He so loved the world. It's not how much. In fact, in Greek it's very clear. It says, in this way, God loved the world. Some of you remember that we used to say uh, here: You take uh, like if, if we we're going to teach, we we're going to teach somebody to put a spark plug in a car. You with me? We're going to put a spark plug for the men. Because ladies, you don't know what a spark plug is, right? No, no. no. Okay, a spark plug. Here's how you put the part- So you put the par- spark plug in, just so, right? Or here's how you here's how you hold the knitting needles, right, Karen? Here's how you hold the knitting. <laughs> oh no! Here's how you qu- here's how you put the quilt on. Or here's how, here's how you do the crochet thing. Where's Katie? So whoever you girls, here's how you hold the needle and the and the thread, just so. Right. So means what? Like, just like this. For God loved the world like this. It's not about quantity, it's about quality. It's about the way He loved the world. It's not like there could be some amount to God's love. That's ridiculous. It makes no sense. No, He's saying God loved the world like this. And He's saying God loves you like this. Like He loves the Son, He loves you and the son loves you like he loves the father and therefore because of that we are to love one another and in so doing by doing that you prove that you're my disciples you prove it Now, every one of us has somebody in our life right now that we are angry with or we can't stand them or whatever that is probably okay. Because as long as you're feeling something towards someone, that's a good thing, right? There's there's something going on. But when you get over to the point where you don't care anymore, where you are what we call indifferent, indifference does what to the other person? What does it do? Think about it for a moment. Indifference puts the other person to death. It kills them. Not literally, but in our heart, in our mind. When you become indifferent to somebody, you're saying, I'm done with you. I am done. In marriage counseling, when I'm talking to couples, I want to, I want, hey, I'm happy that you're fighting. At least you still are fighting. But when one of the others says, I'm done with you, and they're done, their heart has become so hateful, so callous, so filled with venom that they're done with you. They've just put you to death. And my question is simple How dare we? Don't you dare open your Bibles and read that Bible again. Put it away. Be honest at least. Well, you don't know what they did to me. It doesn't matter. What? It doesn't matter. Ask yourself the question, what did they do to Jesus? You want to know how far you go? You go that far. I mean, come on. The problem is churches are full of non-Christians. Do you get it? full of it we, we find every excuse in the world not to love and i'm just saying it's not all right now should you stay in a relationship where the husband's beating you up every night what's the answer no should you stay in you know should you stay in relationships where people are abusive no back out of it run for your life get out get help but for goodness sakes, don't become indifferent and hateful and I'm done with you. Because what that means is you're killing that person in your heart and your mind. Stay angry at least. That much would be alright. Even the Apostle Paul said, be angry. But don't let the sun go down on your wrath. He, and he used a specific word for it. It's a burning uh, it's, it's indifference. It's a burning hatred that writes the person off that kills them. And all year long, 2018, maybe some of you are going to decide today you won't come back to church ever because you want to hear any more of this. But we're going to talk about it. Because one of the things that we have to do is we have to abide in the vine before we ever go on mission. Can you agree with that? And if you're willing to abide on the vine, then what Jesus is going to do, He's going to prune. The passage goes on, He talks about the vines that are producing fruit, He is going to prune you, which means He's going to clean you. He's going to go in, He's going to work on your heart. And I hope 2018 is that year for you. Where God goes in and starts to work on your heart. The reason I'm saying that is because I know we need this. I need it. I, if I need it, and I'm the professional holy person, how much more do you all need it? Of course we need this. We need to prove that we're disciples. We need to quit hearing people say, Oh, you're a bunch of hypocrites. You know, there have been faithful people throughout church history that have done this. It's not unusual. But there are far too far too few churches where this is really made a big thing. And we're going to make it a big thing, or at least we're going to try. So what is the fruit of love? Let me give it to you very quickly. Look at what he says. You can write these down if you want to. First of all, the fruit of the You want to know if you're abiding in the vine? He says obedience. That we are going to obey Him. In other words, He's my King. I've changed allegiance. I'm going to do what you say. And so you're, you're going to come to Him in a very dependent state and you're going to say, here I am. You, you know, you command me. You tell me what you want me to do with respect to this. And if you're in a situation, you're in a marriage or relationship or one of your kids is off the rails or you've got a... a, a a boss at your job that is just a monster, or whatever the case may be. Whatever the case may be. And you go, I'm ready. I will do what you say, Lord Jesus. You just help me. Show me the way. You may have to come and get help. I wouldn't make all those decisions on my own. That's what the church is for. That's what doctors and counselors are for. That's what people around you are for. People you can trust. Go to them. Let them help you. Because maybe we don't see clear. Have you, any of you ever been in a fog? I, I've been in a fog most of my life. That was funny. Never mind. All right. Obedience. He wants us to follow him. So when you're struggling with obedience, hey, get some help. Get some help. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in the vine. A lot of times our our unsettledness is because we're living in sin, we're committing sin. We'll go get some help. Look. After being here, all this, those of you that have been in this church a while and you know me, you know that if you come and you tell me anything, I will not blink. Right? I won't. The only one I blink at is me in the morning. I go, oh my God. Come on. You can. You're in a safe place. Take advantage of it. Okay, obedience. The prophet Samuel told Saul, obedience is better than sacrifice. He said obedience is better than this. Listen, obedience is better than the naked presumption that your religious duty, going to church and sacrificing, and giving your tithes and your offerings and doing all the outward things, that your naked obedience means nothing. That your naked religious duty means nothing. The sacrifice and all that. What He really wants is your heart. Obedience in your heart. Not the naked religious duty. As if, as if, God could be bought. In other words, hey, I'll do for you. I'll give you. I'll throw my change to you. And God is sitting back and says, you know what, keep your money keep your keep that stuff obedience i want your heart this is what he's talking about will you give him your heart obedience is a response to love write it down it is a response to love it's loving back because you've been loved it's kissing back because you've been kissed it's embracing because you've been embraced it's not naked it's not presumptuous it's not giving to get Secondly, look at verse 11. He says, Joy. Another fruit is going to be joy. He says, Joy is these things. I've spoken these things to you so my joy may be in you. He's saying, My joy will be present with you and that your joy will be full. In other words, he's not even talking about an amount here. He's just saying it will be powerful, it will be overflowing, it will be bulging out, it will be full. His peace, listen to this please, his, his joy like His peace does not depend on circumstances. And it's not just going around being happy and clappy all the time. That's not what He's talking about. It's that subterranean, uh, under the surface strength and power of hope and, and resilience that makes you keep moving forward. The joy of the Lord is is my strength. Even on the cross, the Bible says, Jesus rejoiced in the future that was ahead of Him. You and I. The future. For the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross. The joy is that underneath that current that runs underneath. Sacrifice. Look at verses 12 and 13. He goes through this whole thing about loving one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this. Love is transformative. Let me just say this, and if any of you want the article, I'll be happy to send it to you. Love is not N-O-T. Love, real love, is not unconditional. There is no such thing as conditional, unconditional love. To love means there's some condition. If if you love your children and you just tell your children, oh, you can just go do whatever you want. I love you unconditionally. You don't ever have to take a bath again. I love you unconditionally. You can eat chocolate all you want. Aren't you kids excited about that? See? Huh? Huh? Or your husband is uh, drinking like, uh, you know, alcohol and being an alcoholic and, and abusive and all of that. And you say, oh, it's okay. I love you unconditionally. You don't have to change. Unconditional love is, doesn't mean anything. It's the lowest form. It's not maybe not even love. Now, I know what we mean when we say unconditional. We say we're not going to put conditions on you to earn love. And that's much is true. But he says here that love is transformative, it is costly, it is risky, it is messy, it is painful. And any of you that have children or any of you that are married or any of you that have a job you love and a boss you hate, anybody who loves something knows that it is sacrificial The best quote is, I've used this before, and I hope you forgive me, but I want to say it again. It's from C.S. Lewis, his little book, The Four Loves. Love anything, love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung, possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give your heart to no one. Not even to an animal, not even a pet. You don't dare give your heart to anybody, Okay. Listen, wrap it up carefully around the hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Think of the vine. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up in a safe, in a casket or a coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe and dark and motionless and airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable. Irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, alternative to tragedy, or at least the risk of tragedy, is damnation. In other words, he's saying if you want to escape tragedy, the only other place there is to escape tragedy is damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the Dangers of love, what he, he uses in his book, Perturbations, but we don't know what that means. All the, the, the troubles of love, the only place you can be safe from all of it is in hell. You want to never be hurt, you want to self protect. You you want to coil yourself up so I'm not going to ever let anybody hurt me again. Not going to ever let anybody take advantage of me again. I'm not ever going to do, I'm not ever going to close, I'm going to get in my clamshell. You'll change anyway. Your heart will become as hard as a rock, it'll become unbreakable, irredeemable. And I know perhaps you've met some of those people. Another change intimacy. Look at verse 14 and 15. He says, we know, you, you're, not my fr- you're not my servants anymore. Servants don't know what their, what their masters are doing. You're my friends now because I've told you what I'm doing. You're now inside. You're in the circle. Do you all know what that's like? I know we have a lot of homeschool families, so it's very hard. But if you went to public school, you know there were cliques in school. And even in homeschool co-ops, there are cliques. There are cliques in society. Everybody, you know, there's the in-click and the out-click and the this-click and that-click. And we have groups and we, we, we cloister around our groups that we're comfortable with and familiar with. And Jesus is knocking down those walls and he's saying, Come in. Let us be friends. Let us be acquaint- close acquaintance. You know what I'm doing. You're not out there, and we're all in here in the conference room. And you're out there where you can't hear what we're doing. You're kind of gosh. I wonder what's going on in there. I wish I was in there. And they've got shrimp, and they've got sushi, and they've got. I'm out here. I have nothing. We want to be in, and he's saying, "Come in. You can be my friend." And then finally, verse sixteen, assurance. He says, "Look." All of this I'm saying, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I chose you and I appointed you. Just as much as He chose us, He appointed us. In other words, it's not just choosing and then you stay there and nothing happens. He chooses you, then He appoints you. He sends you out, He appoints you. I've appointed you to go bear fruit. I've said it's going to happen. What I say happens. If it's not happening in your life, you don't feel like that, you need us, you need the church, you need people around you to help you sort that out. You may actually be producing more fruit than you know. But remember the fog, we get in the fog, we can't see. I chose you, I appointed you that you go and bear this fruit. It's got to be there. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give it to you. I command you, He says, love one another. You not say I'm going to suggest it. I command it. Love one another. How in the world do we do this? Well, if you look carefully, this little passage that we read, 9 to 17, there's what is called a chiasm. In the very center, if you were to take this and lay it out in a scroll, which is the way they did things, they would arrange the words on the page so that they looked a certain way. And this would have looked very interesting. It would have had... Uh, the verse uh, 9 or verse 8 and verse 9 and 17 here and then it would have had uh, uh, 10 and and 16 here and then it would have had, uh, am I counting right? It would have had uh, 11 and uh, 15 here and it would have gone like this, okay? And then it would have come down to a center point, a chiastic point, a point that is the center. Want to know what the center is? Greater love has no one than this. Then he lay down his life for his friends You are my friends. Jesus saying that. In other words, He's taking, listen to this and I'll be finished. I'm begging you. He's taking all the burden of love. All of it. And let me tell you, there's a burden to it. It's going to be risky, messy, hurtful. Going to require you to bear down on some things. He's taking it all and He's saying, here is the center of it all. Here's what will give you the power to do it. Here's how you can do it. Greater love has no one than this. Then He laid down His life for His friends. You are my friends. He's saying it's all here in me. In order to love others, you have to look to the Savior who loved you. God commends, the Apostle Paul said, He demonstrates His love to us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. On the worst day of our life, folks, He came and saved us and loved us. On the worst day. Every day after, that's a good day. And if you're struggling, you don't remember that He loved you first. You've forgotten that He loves us. Our pastor in Florida, Mike Malone, i never forget when he said this, I think I started crying in church. Mike said to us one day in church, the cross does not secure God's love for you. The cross doesn't make God love you. Uh, make Christ lo- the, the cross doesn't make God love you. Rather, instead, God's love secures for you the cross. For God so loved the world. In this way He loved the world. He gave His Son for us. Look, a lot of you are going to make New Year's resolutions. I hope you do. Uh, If you make a New Year's resolution, make this one. 2018, I'm going to drill down as deep as I can into my heart. I'm going to find all that junk in there, and I'm going to start working on it. I'm going to get the church to help me. I'm going to come to Holy Communion every Sunday. And when I come, I'm going to confess my sins and ask Jesus Christ to heal my heart for all those wounds and hurts that are in there. All of us have them. I beg you, don't go away from church. Sunday after Sunday, wondering, how could God possibly love me? Believe me, I don't know. I do not know. I don't know how he loves me, but he does. And he does first, and he chose and appointed me that I would love you. Let's do it together. I hope you'll trust him, will you? Let's pray. Father, uh, what a command you gave, that we were to love each other the way you love us. Wow, it seems impossible. But I know that we can do it, Father, because you first loved us. You chose us, you appointed us to this. This is our mission, to love one another, to sacrifice for one another, to give up our lives for one another, and for the world around us, a world that is just begging for Christians, real Christians, to stand up and, and act like they are really Christians. This world is begging for it, and I pray that you'll help us do it. Please. We need your strength. We need your power and your presence. We need the joy of the Lord to fill our hearts and lives. So we're looking to you, and and, uh, we're going to trust you, Father. We're going to trust you in this new year in ways that we haven't before. We're going to make this an amazing year of transformation, not unconditional, but complete transformation of our lives and hearts. Little by little, but we're going to do it. By the power of your name and in the glory of your name, and for the sake of your kingdom, you are our king. Amen.